0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what does this tension between grace and truth have to do with us? I mean, Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. What does that mean then for you and and for me and for this church? Everything. You see... We are to be spiritually maturing Christ followers growing into the fullness of the image of Christ, which means if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then I need to be full of grace and truth, which means you need to be full of grace and truth. And because we're the church, then the church needs to be full of grace and truth. And Christ is the example of that. In fact, let me show you what this looks like. It looks like this. No matter who you are, and no matter where you've been, and no matter what you've done, you are welcome here. That you are welcome in our building, that you are welcome in our community, and you are welcome in our lives. And we love you and care about you, and we're here for you, no strings attached. And understand, we're going to be honest with you, we're going to tell you the truth. because, Because we love you, we will tell you the truth. We owe it to you and we owe it to God to be real with you and honest with you, even if it hurts. And so we're going to tell you that drunkenness is killing your family and your relationships. That pornography is eating you up from the inside out. That jealousy and bitterness is going to destroy your family. That infidelity and adultery and lust and envy, all those things are sin. And those sins dishonor God. And that sin at some point will cost you something in your lives A sin always does. We're going to tell you that the way that you act at work, away from church and away from your Christian friends, that matters. The way that you treat your kids matters. The way that you talk to your spouse matters. The way that you treat strangers, especially those who are different from you, matters. But you also have to understand, we we don't condemn you. We don't hate you. We don't look down our self-righteous noses at you. In fact, we forgive you. We love you. More importantly, we identify with you. And we're here for you. And we're praying for you. And you and your life is important to us. And we want to help you. We want to help you draw close to the only one who can offer you any real hope at all and any real healing at all, which is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to help you to get to know who he is. And we're going to help you have a relationship with him. We're going to help you begin to follow him and to become a spiritually maturing Christ follower too. And we're going to tell you the truth because it's going to get hard. And at times you're going to have doubts. And there'll be times you're going to wonder where God is. And there'll be times you're going to feel like you're failing God. And I'm going to tell you right now, there will be times you will fail him. But we're going to give you grace. And we won't get offended by your doubt. And we won't get upset by your heart. Hard questions. And we won't disown you when you fall down and make a mess of things. We're going to love you. And we're going to consistently remind you that Jesus loves you. And he loves you so much that he died for you. And when the road gets hard, we're going to be here, right here with you. And no matter what happens, we will be here all the while pouring into your life both grace and truth. Because we are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. Because we are First Baptist Church, and you are welcome here. Lord, we thank you for this uh this beautiful morning and we thank you for this church family and and we thank you for the the freedom that we have and the ability to come here this morning to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, our brothers and sisters around the world face horrible persecution. Just this morning, two churches, Lord, were bombed in Egypt and over 40 people have been killed and dozens more have been wounded And, and we pray, Lord, for those churches and we pray that those who are wounded, Lord, that you would heal them and we pray for their families as well. Lord, we pray that you draw them close to you and you show yourself faithful uh, to them in uh, a time like this. And uh, we pray that you'd help them to see that you can use this senseless act, Lord, and this act of horrific violence, that you would use it for your glory and for their good, Lord. I pray, Father, that uh, that you would heal them and strengthen them and give them the courage to carry on sharing the hope of Christ. And, Father, I pray that we would that you would help us today as well, Lord, That you would help us to have the courage to share the hope that we have in Christ too. Lord, draw our hearts close to you. Focus our minds on you. Help us to glorify you. Lord, we want to glorify your holy name. Give us the ability to see you for who you are and see the work that you're doing in our lives and around the world. Help us to hear your voice and help us to submit to your will. Father, we pray this morning that you would uh, use your word in the guiding of the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us and renew us into something new. And Father, we we pray that as we approach your word, that you'd help us to see it clearly, help us to set aside our traditions and our preconceived notions and the influences of our culture as we submit our minds and our hearts to the truth and the authority of your word. And we ask this morning that you would just continue to work in us and change us evermore into the image of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. If you uh, have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile device, please turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, We're going to be in in chapter number 6. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's probably one in the pew in front of you. And uh, just so you know, as you can see, we are under construction. You know, um, we've, uh, we've we've made a lot of progress this uh, the last couple of years, but this last couple of months, we've really gotten a lot of things done. And uh, and you'll see more happen between now and Easter, which is next week. Um, but uh, if you just bear with us, it's not going to always look pretty. But you know, um, but we're you know, but we have we have an end uh, goal to meet. Is and, and it was funny because uh, Sarah this morning said that, you know, we're under construction. It's kind of like how we all are, right? We're all under construction. And, and actually, it's kind of fitting because, like, you know, Easter is the time of renewal. And that's what we're doing. You know, this is a 78-year-old church. And that's, we're in the process of renewing things. And I don't know about you, but, like, putting these new windows in here, the light is just incredible, right? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so if you bear with us and bear with our dust. But um, Romans chapter 6, um, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it, still live in it? Uh, J.B. Gambrill, who was the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, once wrote, he says, As Baptist principles are peculiar to Baptists, every Baptist church, uh, with all its appointments, from preacher to Sunday school teacher, ought to stand in the community where it holds forth the word for something different than any other congregation. Well, today is actually one of those unusual Sundays where if, if you're new here, understand you're kind of catching us in between. We're actually in between series. We just finished up a series titled waiting on uh, God. And then, uh, and the next week's going to be Easter. And then we're going to have, you know, our, our church wide, um, uh, event, which is going to be five weeks long so that there's a series there. And then after that, we're going to do a, a series on temptation. And so today we're just kind of like in between those places. You have this one kind of odd Sunday where, you know, you don't want to start something new, but, uh, today I actually have something special I want to share with you. There's something that's been on my heart and my Mind for uh, for quite some time, and actually the reason why that it's been on my heart and mind is because uh, because it several over the last several years, and it's not just been one time but multiple times um, over the last several years, I've heard some people say something that, that really just kind of made me think. You know, it's it's actually caused me to, to think. Huh? Is that really what it is? You know, is that really what it's like? And and, and so I've really kind of like put a lot of thoughts into this, and and what I've heard people say is on the lines of of something like like this. It says. Um, I go to the first Baptist church, but we're, we're really only a Baptist church in name only. And I've, I've heard that so many times, right? We're really not a Baptist church, which actually means, you know, we're something else. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of different than, than what, you know, we do things differently than Baptist churches do. So we're just Baptist in name only. Well, let me ask you, is is that the truth? Is that really how, it, are we just Baptist in name only? I mean, it's kind of an important question here. As we talked about this morning, this is a 78-year-old church. You know what I mean? We've been here a long time. And there are lots of people who've come here and worshiped here. And, and, and this church has spread the gospel in the community around us, the various parts. And, and the church has always identified itself as a Baptist church, right? So what's changed? Are we still a Baptist church? Or is it just a name? I mean, is this congregation just some local non-denominational church uh, who happens to be called a Baptist church, you know, because it's the name that we inherited from the people that have been before us who were really the Baptists, right? I mean, the truth is we have lots of people in our membership that didn't come from, you know, the Baptist denomination. They come from lots of different backgrounds. We have people here that, um, you know, from lots of different churches, right? Kim and I were were, were saved, you know... um, in the Church of Christ in Bakersfield, right? And then we, we were discipled up in, in, a, in the Calvary Chapel in Bakersfield. And then when we moved, we moved to Menifee and then we recommitted our lives to Jesus in a non-denominational church called New Hope, right? And all of that was before we moved to Boron. All of that was before we even came here, right? And many of you have similar stories, right? Some of you are from Calvary Chapel. Others of you from the Assembly of God. Some of you from Bible churches. And, and, and some of you might even have Lutherans, you know, in your background. And, and I even know maybe a few of you uh, at some point in your life, you know, uh, used to be uh, part of the Catholic Church. So here we all are, right, under the, the, uh, the banner of a Baptist church, right? And, and, and it's certainly true that we don't do things like the people before us. Right, we don't have wooden pews. Right, we don't have. I don't, I don't preach behind a big old wooden pulpit. Right, uh, we still love hymns. I mean, we sang one this morning. Right, but um, but but we don't sing from the old red hymnals anymore. We don't require people to ha- wear formal business attire here. We're pretty casual in our in our dress code, um, and because we want people to come as they are, really, and uh, and. You know, we don't really have a formal liturgy, right? I mean, uh, when we, the way we design worship, I mean, we're not doing responsive reading or, you know, any of those other things. We don't have a, a choir with all the choir robes, right? So, so yeah, we're different, but but what, what does that really mean? Does that mean that we're not a Baptist church? Are we just some other kind of, of, of church with just the Baptist name? Is that what that means? I mean... And that's actually what I want to talk about today. I want to I want to talk about what does it mean to be a Baptist. What is what is it? What makes a Baptist a Baptist? And and so I want to look at these things and I want to talk you through these and then ask the question. Right? Are, is is this what we're, what our church's name is, or do we need to think about changing it? All right. Now, before I jump in here, let me just let me be clear. And I'm going to lay my cards right on the table. And I want to tell you that I personally believe that we are a Baptist church. I identify right with the Baptist tradition. And so I call myself a Baptist, you know, that's just where I'm coming from, but understand, okay. The mission of this church right here is not to create Baptists per se. Okay. That's not what we're here to do, okay? The mission of First Baptist Church here in Boron is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. Our mission is to help people to come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ and then help those people to grow towards maturity and to grow in in, in the image of Christ. That their lives become better, that their their marriages become better, that their families become better, their communities become better as they grow to be more and more like Jesus, right? That that's what that, that's what our mission is, right? We're to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. And so I really don't personally care if a person identifies themselves here as a Baptist or not. It really doesn't matter to me. Okay? It's, for me, it's about helping other people to enter into a life-giving relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and to grow into maturity into the image of Christ. That is what I care about. Are okay? people being saved and are people actually growing up to walk with Jesus? That's the mission of a First Baptist Church here in our community. And the vision of our church, as you heard already, is we're going to be a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, and completely committed to sharing the hope of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. That is our vision, okay? We, we, we want to be a loving community of, of, of people who follow Jesus. We want to love God and love other people because that's exactly what Jesus did, and he calls us to be loving and open and love with an unconditional love. We want to we love with a reckless abandon, all who come to us. Right? And then we are also passionately pursuing Jesus, which means we're pursuing Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, Our whole life's mission is to get to know Jesus and be closer to him. And then we as the body of Christ, we're deeply connected to one another. Okay? Uh, we're part of the same family. We are to love each other and serve each other you know, as we are here together. Right? We're deeply connected to each other, which means what happens to you in your life happens to me. What happens to me happens to you. Right. It didn't matter what our nationalities are. It didn't matter what our skin colors are. It didn't matter what our economic backgrounds are. We are all Christ followers, part of one family, deeply connected to each other. And then we're completely committed to sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with our community in the world. There's no other hope but Jesus. There's no other hope but Jesus. All other hope is sinking sand. All other hope is temporal. There's nothing for us besides Jesus. And so we want to share that hope with the rest of the world, with our community, right? There are people in our community who are hurting and desperate and who, 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 who suffer and struggle in big ways. And we know for a fact, if they could just hear the message of Jesus and let the Holy spirit into their life, their lives would change. And so we are committed to sharing and, and we're committed to, 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 to loving and, and, and we're sold out to to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and the world. So that's who we are, and that is what we do, whether you call yourself a Baptist or not, right? Now, with that, I personally believe that we are working towards those things and that we are doing those things, the mission and the vision, we accomplish those things as a Baptist church. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through what does it actually make a Baptist a Baptist, you know? Um, And so the first thing that that we have to come to terms with, though, is that before we actually discuss this, is the fact that most people, when they hear the word Baptist, okay, um, when someone says Baptist, they have this image that pops up into their heads, I mean, when, when you think of assembly of God churches, you have an image that pops in your head. When you think of Lutheran churches, you have images that pop in your head. When you think of Catholic churches, it's the same thing. And when you, when you hear someone say Baptist, an image pops into your head. Whether you want it to or not, you have a preconceived idea, right? I mean, you already, we already start this conversation with, with the preconceived ideas because everybody has an image of what <clears throat> it means to be a Baptist. Now, some of those images are really positive, and, and some of those aren't. So positive, right? Um, some of those have are deserved images, and some of them aren't. Um, and, and some people, when when they hear the word Baptist church, they smile and they get excited. And some people, when they hear Baptist church, they frown and scowl and get all irritated. The truth is, everybody has some kind of picture that that comes to their mind. Okay, and that picture that they have is not really influenced by Baptist doctrine per se. It's actually influenced by a person's personal experience. Okay, it's usually based on, on, on a personal experience that they have with, with a Baptist church or, or the Baptist people around them that they encounter. Okay, some people grew up in a Baptist church, right? and that, that really forms an image. Other people have been around Baptist churches, and some people have gotten to know, you know people who attend Baptist churches, and they judge what it means to be a Baptist based on those people for better or for worse right? And, and so some have, have watched famous people on TV, you know, famous Baptists on TV like Charles Stanley and Jerry Falwell, right? And they think that's what it means to Baptists, be, to be a Baptist. Other people think, you know, as they travel around the country, they see all these old churches and most of them are Baptist churches, right? And so they think that, that it's about, you know, old and historic and that's what they associate with, with, with our tradition. And so many people think that Baptists are about, you know, traditional looking buildings. It's about, you know, pews and and wooden crosses and and big steeples and, and dark wooden altars that say the Lord's table on them. You know, those are the things that people associate. And for others, it's about preachers who yell and scream all the time, right? Other people, you know, associate Baptist preachers with those guys who have so much passion and energy and they talk so much and so fast that you think they're going to pass out because they, for lack of oxygen, because they forget to breathe sometimes, right? And some people associate Baptist preaching with the shouts from the amen chorus, you know, every time a preacher makes a point, you got all these like choruses of amen going on. Uh, Some people associate Baptist preaching with that and some people think think that being a Baptist is is about revival meetings or Tuesday night prayer meetings, you know, or, uh, people think of, you know, it's about weekly potlucks and church picnics, by the way, we're still having a potluck. So, um, (laughs) and other people, you know, think it's about just reading the King James version of the Bible only, or it's about dark suits and comb over hairstyles and everybody calls everybody brother Keith and brother Bob and sister Eustace. And, you know, that's the images that people have when, you know, when they, when, when, you you say Baptist. I know that's what I did, you know, when I first came here. And and, and all of these images, they, they, they come from somewhere. People don't just make that up. All right. People don't just come in, in, in to those ideas on their own. That comes from 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 somewhere, you know, better for worse, right? All of these images are connected to a Baptist church somewhere in the world, and at some point in history. And so the question is: Is are these things really what it means to be a Baptist church? And the answer is no, because being a Baptist isn't about what the church looks like. I'm going to say that again: Being A Baptist isn't about what the church looks like, okay? It's not about the instruments that are played during worship. It isn't about how people dress. It's not about wooden pews versus padded chairs. We've had that argument before. Um, Being a Baptist isn't about specific, you know, uh, Bible translations, though I say that there are some translations that that nobody should read, right? Um, It's not about that. But these things are not what make a Baptist church a Baptist church, okay? And to make it even more complicated than that, okay, there's not just one kind of Baptist, all right. Right now in America, there are sixty different variations of Baptists. Okay, you have your Southern Baptist and the Northern Baptist, American Baptist and Reformed Baptist, and those are the major players. Then you have the Fundamentalist Baptists, the Full Gospel Baptist, and the Free Will Baptists. Then there's the Alliance of Baptists, the Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, the Baptist Bible Fellowship, Christian Unity Baptists, Conservative Baptists of America. And if that's not obscure enough for you, then you have the General Six Principal Baptists, Indian Bottom Association of Regular Baptists, you know, Landmark Baptists, right? And then you have Macedonia Baptist World Missions, Mainstream Baptist Network, Old Regular Baptists, Primitive Baptist, um, Progressive National Baptist, Separate Baptist, Seventh day Baptist, listen, two seed in the Spirit, Predestinarian Baptists. Okay? I had to practice it like six times, right? right? Unregistered Baptist and world. Baptist. And like I said, there's 60 different varieties of the Baptist denomination in America alone, not to mention there's over a hundred more around the world. And so with all those different names, they're all different ideas about what the church should look like, how the the church should worship, how the government of the church should be ran, how people should dress, all with different identities, right? And, And in fact, First Baptist Church actually here was once a Southern Baptist Church at some point, they changed it over to an American Baptist Church, and then it was a fundamentalist, independent Baptist church. Each time that the church changed its nature and its worship style and its liturgy, um, that, that changed right along with that. And so, um, some some of some of those different denominations, you know, you know, and, 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 and identities are they, you know, is that what it means to be a Baptist? Then, well, well, then there's us, right, out here in little bitty old Boron, California. And right now, we're just an independent Baptist church, which means we don't really have an association with a formal denomination. We're just simply plain old Baptists, okay? All right, for whatever that means, right? Okay, and now some people will say, well, wait a minute, you're a First Baptist. I go, what do you mean? Okay, no, no, you're a First Baptist church. Like, that's an actual denomination itself. In fact, I had somebody come here one day and said, oh yeah, we stopped by, we do not want to visit because you're a First Baptist Church. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I belong to the First Baptist Church in Oklahoma. And since you're the same denomination, I was like, all right, just have a seat. Okay, you know, but the reality is, is you know, we, we 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 share a name, but but we don't have the we're not a denomination. First Baptist Church is not a denomination. Let's just get that out of the way, all right? Just because our name is First ba- Baptist Church doesn't mean that we share the same denominational ties as every other First Baptist Church. The reason why we are called First Baptist Church, like every other First Baptist Church, is because we were the the first Baptist church in the community, right? That we were the first. Baptist church here in Boron. We were first. That's the point, right? I mean, that's why in some communities you have the second Baptist church. You have the third Baptist church. Even in some larger communities you have the fourth Baptist church. All right? Okay? So, yes, there is. That's Richmond, Virginia, by the way. Nice church. Yeah. So we're called the first Baptist. Did it take four times to get it right or something like that? That's a nice church, huh? Yeah. Okay. We were called first Baptist church because we were Baptist and we were here first. Okay? So Baptist, first Baptist isn't a denomination, it's just our name. So being a Baptist isn't about names, it's not about associations, and it's certainly not about liturgy or building style or dress codes, and it's not about worship styles or Bible translations. It has nothing to do with any of those things. All those things are man-made traditions, okay? So that's not certainly what makes a Baptist a Baptist. The issue then has to be deeper than that, right? Well, what makes a Baptist a Baptist is, is not a man-made tradition or religious trapping. It actually has to do with doctrine and theology. Okay? It's not what you look like. It's what we believe. It's not about religious traditions. It's about foundational doctrine and theology. As I've said over and over and over and over again, theology matters. And as my wife always says over and over again, theology, theology, theology. All you ever talk about is theology. Right? But it's the truth. It's not about what we look like. It's about what we believe. And and, and, and the truth is, there's a core of what it means to be a Baptist, regardless of of the denominational lines. There's a core set of Baptist principles that every person who claims to be a Baptist typically believes in. In fact... There is a specific core Baptist doctrine. And this doctrine has some specific beliefs about the church and who actually belongs to the church. And these doctrines can be traced all the way back to the very first group of people who were called Baptists. And so what we have in common with other Baptist churches is a common doctrine and a common history. And, 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 and there's some of those now when they, when they trace back their history, I think they're a little crazy because there's some debate about that. But the fact is, as uh, Leon McBeth in an article for BaptistHistory.org wrote, he says, some people try to trace organized Baptist churches back to the New Testament times or John the Baptist. Um, that's not really the connection, by the way. Okay, But he said one writer even even suggested that Adam was the first Baptist because uh, he was there first, but uh, certainly, um, he says, certainly we believe that our doctrine and faith root in the New Testament, but we um, we're f- we first meet our organized denomination considerably this side of Adam. He goes on to say, our best historical evidence says that Baptists came, out of the, came into existence in England in the early 17th century, um, and they apparently emerged out of the Puritan separatist movement in the Church of England. Some of these earnest people uh, read the Bible, you know, in their own language, believed it and sought to live by it. That is right there, is really when the Baptist denomination originated. That's where it came from. It came from the 1600s, all right? So the Baptist church, you know, came into existence early 1600s. And, it's, and so, really, our tradition is born out of the Reformation. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Reformation is about, let me just give you just a little little history lesson, okay? 500 years ago, coming this Halloween, Okay? October 31st, 500 years ago, a man named Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk, went to the church at Wittenberg, and he nailed a document called the 95 Thesis uh, to the door of the church. All right, And so this document was essentially a list of his 95 issues and complaints that Martin Luther had with the Catholic Church, which, by the way, was really the only church at the time, except for maybe the Eastern Orthodox Church in Asia Minor. Right? Um, and so at the heart of Martin Luther's arguments, though, uh, the, the argument that he had against the church is the belief that the church had lost the gospel. They had lost their way. They had lost the ability to share with people the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, at that point in history, the church taught that salvation came only from the church. It was about being a faithful member of the church, receiving ongoing sacraments of, you know, uh, of communion. It was about attending masses and taking communion and confession and actually spending money and buying indulgences to help people to get out of purgatory, right? Uh, that salvation and grace were things that the church distributed. It wasn't that you were given that. This, these things you had to come to the church for. And so it wasn't about being saved by grace. You were saved by the help of the church, Right? So Martin Luther, in preparation for teaching a theology class at the university there, he actually did something that people didn't do. He studied the book of Romans, right? And so he actually, when, when as he was studying the book of Romans, he discovered that the church had it all wrong. That salvation didn't come from the church. Salvation came by grace through faith in Christ alone. It wasn't the sacraments. It wasn't attending mass. It was the grace of God. And so this set off a firestorm. Right, because suddenly the political power of the church is being threatened. And the Reformation you know, had a worldwide economic and political implication to it. And so the church began to push back, and even violently so. We're talking about burning people at the stake right, for, for, for their beliefs. But Martin Luther was undaunted for his quest for the truth. And so he, bowed to, uh, he, he refused to bow to the pressure of the church of Rome. And he began to write... And to teach prolifically. Well, Martin Luther's life coincided with, with an important invention. The printing press. right? Which meant Martin Luther's ideas you know, and his, his grievances against the church could be widely distributed then. The most popular things in print at the time were the Bible and Martin Luther's essays. And so the Reformation really began to take off. And out of this movement in history, there came five important foundational Christian Reformation doctrines uh, about salvation that changed everything. And I'm, I'm, in fact, we're not standing here, or we're not well, you're not sitting here, I'm not standing here talking about this unless this actually happens in history. Okay? And, and these doctrines were called the five solas. You have sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. You have sola fide, which is um, faith alone. Solus Christus, which is in Christ alone. And Sola de Gloria, which is the which is uh, for the glory of God alone. All right, this is the foundation of of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura meant that that, that Scripture alone was the supreme and sufficient authority for our faith. It wasn't. It wasn't churches, it wasn't popes, it wasn't tradition. Scripture alone had the final authority. There was nothing to be above Scripture in authority. There was, there was nothing that was to be held in higher regard. And, and so what the, the, the Reformers believed, that Scripture was was God's divine revelation, and as such, it was the supreme authority for all Christians. Now, the Roman Church and, 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 and other people believed that that, the, that this tradition, um, the They believed that actually their traditions themselves and the decrees of the pope, the things that the pope said, actually had equal value and weight as the scriptures. They believed that what the pope said was just as authoritative, if not more so, than what the Bible said. And so the reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli, they denied that. And and they believed that the Bible is God's word and it stands over and above everything else, including the pope. And including all the traditions. And so, in all that, we know about God. Right? They, they believe that everything we know about God and everything that we do in worship must come from Scripture itself. And so, all religious traditions must actually subordinate themselves to the Bible. It's sola scriptura. And then, sola gratia was this idea that you're saved by grace, not of works. And it's not by the church, but by the grace of God alone. And sola fide is by faith alone in solus Christus, which is Christ alone. And we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And then all of that is sola de gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's why we're saved, is for the glory of God. This right here was the radical view. Okay, This was the radical coming back to foundational theology that changed the entire world the, <clears throat> and and. As such, Reformed churches began to pop up all over Europe. And so it was in this climate... It's in that climate that Baptist churches were born. People began to read the word of God for themselves. They had access to it. It was against the law before. Now they can actually read it for themselves. And they began to study the Bible with an intense fervor. And people began to want to know God more and follow him with all their heart. They wanted to be faithful to him and submit their lives and everything they do uh, to, to God in faith and in practice Right, And as a result, in England, some of the Puritan separatists began to read the Scriptures and understand the only people who actually were baptized in Scripture, the only people who were baptized in Scripture were people who actually confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. People could make a profession of faith, right, which, you know... W- w- you know, which, which, which was different then from, from the Catholic world, right? Because, for, and, 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 some, even some of the Protestant churches, because in the Catholic world and the Protestant churches, they weren't baptizing, you know, confessing Christians. They were baptizing infants. You see the Catholic church, and I mean, the Protestant churches, you know, you became a member either by your conversion or you're just born into that church. And so by being born in that church, they baptize you, Right. Even before you could actually say, Jesus is Lord, they baptize you, you're part of that church. Well, these Puritan separatists looking at the scriptures said only those people who actually profess can be, can be, can be baptized, right? It, you know, it, it's about scripture and not our, my tradition, this is how we've always done it. And so, so they noticed that people that were only baptized were the ones who, who actually um, made a profession of faith. And those are the people who joined the church. And so they, they, they felt that a person had to be mature enough to hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and then be able to confess Jesus as Savior. And those are the ones they would actually take and baptize by immersion. And then they would then make them members of the church. And based on that understanding, they formed separate congregations that accepted only believers into their membership. And they baptized only converts upon the profession of faith. And because of that, as a result of that, their opponents, okay, it was their opponents who nicknamed them Baptists, okay? And the name stuck. I know it's not any more exciting than that, right? 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 But that's where the name comes from. That's where the denomination comes from. It was a, it was a, um, it was a kind of a slanderous nickname that kind of stuck. Right? It's kind of like the nickname Christians. Christians was actually a, um, a pejorative. But then Christians began to to embrace that later on. Was well, the same thing as Baptists. And and at the core of what makes Baptists Baptists is this understanding uh, and the belief that only people who are baptized into the church are the people who can and do confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That's the, doctor, the, I mean the doctrine that makes Baptist Baptists. It's the believer's baptism is, is what it's called. And what that means is every church and every denomination that only baptizes people who make a profession of faith, guess where they get that, that doctrine from? From Baptists. So that means down there at the assembly of God, when they baptize somebody, guess whose doctrine they're using? The Baptist doctrine, right? With the Born Bible Church down there, their, their their Baptist doctrine. I mean, their their doctrine on baptism is a Baptist doctrine. Same with the Calvary Chapel Four Square Church, non denominational churches, right? Any church that doesn't baptize infants, it's because of the Baptist doctrine that was founded in the 1600s, which means if you believe, you know, that infants should be baptized before they make a confession of faith, then you're not a Baptist. All right? Now, understand, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. All right? Because our, our Lutheran and Presbyterian brothers and sisters, you know, they're saved. But they still baptize infants because of their view of the covenant. Right? So it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means you're wrong. Right? It means you're not Baptist. Right? And so if you believe that people should be baptized into the church only after they make a confession of faith, all right, as Jeff Foxworthy says, you might be a Baptist. Well, at least you're not a redneck. And those two, Baptists and Rednecks, are not mutually connected, okay? Just, just Sometimes they are, but not all the time, all right? But now, Baptists, you know, believers, the believer's baptism is, the, is not the only thing that, uh, that, that Baptists emphasize. It's not the only thing that sets Baptists apart from other denominations. I mean, we, you know, we're called Baptists, but it's not all about Baptism. See for Baptists historically they have had always a heavy emphasis on the on, on Christian doctrine um, especially orthodoxy all right Baptists throughout history have always been people of the book they have always been people of the bible they value scriptures right and 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 they they they, they study them and, and and they they have classified and affirmed Orthodox doctrines from Scripture alone. And as such, they affirm things like sola scriptura. They, they have classically believed that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word to mankind. Period. End of story. That's what Baptists classically believe. Other Christians do too. But that's, that's something that Baptists hold strongly to. In fact, our own statement of faith here which is adopted from the Southern Baptist Convention's Faith and Message, says, The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christianity. Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious uh, opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Baptists believe and affirm in Sola Scriptura. So if you believe that the Bible is the true word of God, you know, and it's authoritative for your life, then you just might be a Baptist. Right? Baptists also affirm doctrines like the Trinity. We have they have always viewed God through the lens of Scripture, not by their own designs, but what Scripture says. And Scripture makes it clear that God is a triune God. Our own statement of faith says this: there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, uh, preserver, and the ruler of the universe. God is infinite in his holiness in his other perfections. God is all-powerful and in all-knowing. He, is, he has perfect knowledge, extends to All things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Or in other words, one in essence, three in persons, Baptist, have been and always will be staunch Trinitarians. So if you believe in the Trinity, then you just might be a Baptist. Uh, But not only were Trinitarians, but they are fiercely to defend the deity of Christ. In other words, we believe and defend that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. Our statement of faith reads this Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with all its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet was without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience. And in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision uh, for the redemption of men from sin. He raised from the. De- he was raised from the dead and glorified and into a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the same person who was with him before the crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God. He is. The- he is the one mediator, fully God fully man in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever present Lord. Okay, Baptists take seriously the words of, of John the Apostle who said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you want to know who the Word was, you just read down a little bit further, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, All right? And he was full of grace and truth. So the Word was Jesus, and so he was fully God. Um, now, if you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you just might be a Baptist, Right? Um, now all Christians, you know, uh, whether it, you don't have to be a Baptist to believe those things because all Christians, true Christians believe in the deity of Christ and, and, uh, and, the Trinity. But, but Baptists also, because they were born out of some, some, you know, some of the reformation, um, you know, they, they have other believers as well. I mean, other beliefs as well. And they, they, and the other beliefs are the solace. Right? Because they came from the Reformation area. Baptists believe that you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's for the glory of God alone. And so if you believe that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ, you know the answer to that, right? Now, other doctrines that Baptists affirm um, you know, are things like the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Baptists believe that, uh, that Jesus isn't just a Savior, but he is actually the Lord of our lives. Which means... You know, that he is to be worshiped and obeyed as such. And so we as Baptists, we expect as people come into relationship with Jesus, as they make him the Lord, that their lives will change as they follow God and become, you know, transformed in the image of Jesus. Baptists also believe in the priesthood of the believer. Which means that if you are a Christian, if you trust in Christ, you have a direct connection to God. That you can come before the throne of grace anytime you want to. That the veil between you and God has been torn, right? And you don't have to have a person or you don't have to have a building to go to to meet with God. You can meet with God anytime, anywhere, and you can go directly into his presence just by praying. You don't need a human priest to mediate between you and God, okay? And and more than that... As, as, you know, priests, you know, as, as believers or priests, then you can actually read the word of God for yourself. See, that was something that people couldn't do before, that you had to have a priest to read it for you. Well, you can actually read the word of God for yourself. That's what Baptists firmly believe, that you should have a Bible and that you can read the Bible. And by the Holy Spirit, he will illuminate your mind. Baptists also believe that the only people who can be members of the church are people who are born again. Right? And that might seem pretty straightforward to most of us, but some churches, that's just really not how it is. Right? You can become a member without being born again. You can become a member just because you were born into the church, but not actually born again. But as a Christian and, and as Baptists, we believe that the only legitimate way to be part of the body of Christ is to be saved and then to be born again, as Jesus said. And so you don't become a member unless you actually believe and you have had that rebirth. Now, these are just some of the foundational teachings that, that, that Baptists hold to because Baptists hold to all of the Orthodox Christian doctrines, right? Baptists you know, affirm all the foundational Christian teachings, but there are a couple other things, um, a couple other doctrines along with the believer's baptism that are really kind of unique to the Baptist denomination. And I just want to share with you uh, these. And the doctrines are the autonomy of the local church, the uh, doctrine of, of soul liberty or religious liberty and the doctrine of the separation of church and state now in order to understand this and these doctrines and why they're so important to baptist you have to go back in history and look at it from the historical context remember baptist churches were born during the reformation which which was a repudiation of the church of rome and and baptists Right? along with other denominations, believed in authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And because of that, and because the believers themselves you know, uh, read the Scriptures, they found that the believer's baptism... Right? was the right way to baptize people, right? and they rejected then baptizing babies, which put them at odds with not only the Catholic Church, but it put them at odds with also Protestant denominations such as Lutherans and Anglicans. And the Baptists became persecuted for their faith. Right? And as a result, all right, these other three doctrines sprang, for, sprang forth. Right? The first was the autonomy of the local church. Baptists saw nothing good coming out of the centralized authority. Right? They, had, they, had, they, had, they saw nothing good coming out of an, an authority over the local church. Right? They, they saw what happened to the Roman church. They saw what happens when, when the Roman church was run by the state and recognized that large state-run churches can be influenced to move away from Scripture and, and Scripture's teachings and begin to enforce a political agenda instead of actually what the Bible actually teaches. Right? Right? And so they adopted this doctrine that each local church is autonomous and that that its only leader is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the church and the local church is led by an under shepherd uh, known as a pastor or an elder. And each local church then is governed by its congregational uh, leadership or elder leadership. Right, And so the local church doesn't report to an outside authority uh, except Jesus and its elders and pastors. Their job then is to learn and to teach and to defend the doctrines of the theology of their faith. And so we at First Baptist Church, we're a local autonomous church. We don't send our money anywhere to some larger you know, church government. We don't, I don't report to some bishop or cardinal or some manager outside of the area. I report directly to Jesus and I report directly to you. That is how we do things here at First Baptist Church. Now, now the doctrines, the other doctrines were born out of the same trial. Baptists were persecuted not only by the Catholics, but they were persecuted by other Protestant churches who became state-ran churches. You see, when the the Reformation came about, when it happened, um, the, the... it wasn't like that people were just automatically religiously free. There wasn't like religious freedom once they got rid of the church of Rome. The, the government still had a lot of influence in religious matters, which meant that most nations still had a state-ran church. Either you, if you were in a Catholic you know, country, then you're part of the Catholic church. All right, but if you, if you were part of a Protestant nation, you were part of that Protestant church. If it was in Germany, you were Lutheran. If it was in England, it was the Anglican church. And if, and if there was a rebellion or a leadership change, then, then, then who, you know, the, whoever they, they decided that they wanted to follow, then guess what? The whole country, by default, became members of that church. And what was worse, if you didn't go along with what the, uh, the state taught, if you didn't go along with, with the state church's teachings, you faced persecution, economic station, sanctions, political sanctions, and sometimes even death. You were, in essence, forced to worship against your conscience. And so because of that, Baptists adopted the doctrines regarding religious liberty and separation of church and state. They wanted to worship free, right? They wanted to be free to worship how they saw fit. They wanted to be free from the government interfering in their faith. In fact, our country is what it is because of these developments of Baptist doctrines. Thomas Jefferson, who was not a Baptist, and, and many other of the, um, uh, the framers of our of, of our country all read heavily Baptist teachings on these particular doctrines. The Bill of Rights actually reads like a Baptist doctrinal statement. Right, We are free to worship in America as we see fit as Baptists or Assembly of God or as Lutherans or as Catholics or as Jews or Buddhists or Muslims or whatever because of these two baptist doctrines and that's why our personal statement of faith addresses these issues in article 17 under religious liberty it says god alone is lord of the conscience he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which is contrary to his word or not contained in it church and state should be separate the state owes the church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. In providing such freedom, no ecclesiastical group or denomination should be favored by the state more than the others. Civil government being ordained by God is the duty of the Christians to render loyal obedience, whereto in all things not contrary to the revealed will of God. The church should not resort to civil power or carry on its works. The gospel of Christ contemplates spiritual means alone alone. For the pursuit of its end. The state has no right to impose penalties for religious opinions of any kind. The state has no right to impose taxes for the support of any form of religion. A free church in a free state is the Christian ideal. And this implies the, the right to a free and unhindered access to God on the part of all men. And the right to form and to propagate opinion in the sphere of religion without interference by civil power. There, these are Baptist doctrines and so here's the thing if you believe in religious liberty if you believe in the separation of church and state then you just might be a Baptist now here's the thing now that you kind of know the historical context and you understand that being a Baptist isn't about you know what you look like, but it's actually what you believe. And now that you understand doctrinally that Baptists believe and affirm the five solas and that Baptists believe and affirm the, the orthodox doctrines on the inerrancy of scripture, uh, the, the trinity, the divinity, and the lordship of Christ, and that Baptists believe in the autonomy of the local church, you know, religious liberty and the separation of church and state, you know, and, and Baptists particularly believe that the only people who should be baptized and be made members of the church are people who are born again, making a profession of faith. Now, with all of that, let me ask you, are we a Baptist church? I mean, I know we don't look like grandma's Baptist church, right? <laughs> I know that, you know, we don't, we know we don't sing from the hymnals and when well, we still sing hymns, but we don't have pews and, and, and I don't stand behind this big wooden thing, Right? I don't sound like Charles Stanley, I will put you to sleep if I did, faster than I already do anyway. Uh, I don't sound like Charles Stanley Stanley or Jerry Falwell or John MacArthur or or John Getch Jr. or Sr. for that matter, right? But when you put aside the man-made traditions and you look at the doctrine and theology of the history of Baptist Church, we are Baptist Church, Right? And as such, we're committed to teaching the foundational Christian doctrines, as well as the Baptist distinctives. Now, I personally call myself a Baptist, even though I wasn't raised that way. I just believe in those doctrines. In fact, I traced my own theology back to the 17th century. This is called the, 18, I mean, the 1689 Baptist Confession, or the, or the Second London Baptist Confession, which is written like... With, within a hundred years of the, of the founding of the Baptist denomination, right? And, and if you read it, you'll find it reads very similar to our statement of faith. But my own personal beliefs correspond with the beliefs found in this confession as well as our statement of faith. And so because of that, I gladly call myself a Baptist. Now, what does that mean for the rest of us? Well, it means that we, will con- we are and we will continue to be a Baptist church. And, and, and you're welcome here whether or not you ever decide to call yourselves a Baptist. But but as I said, our mission is to create spiritually mature Christ followers. Our vision is to be a loving community of Christ followers who are passionately in pursuit of Jesus and deeply connected to one another and completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we are First Baptist Church and you are welcome here. Now, wrapping a couple of things up, if you have not put your trust in Jesus. If you've not put your trust in Jesus, God in the flesh, if you've not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior alone. Right? Today's the day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today's the day that you can put your trust in Jesus and be saved. And I want to encourage you. The way you do that is to repent and believe the gospel. Now, you might say, well, I don't know what the gospel is. Well, that's easy. I'll share it with you. It's the good and the bad news about God and you. The good news is God is sovereign and in control. And he is all good and he is all knowing. Right? The bad news is you're not. Right? And because of that, you have fallen short of the glorious standard of God. You are a sinner. Right? And what makes that worse is not only you're a sinner, but but the wrath of God abides on you. And unless you do something about that, you will face God and he will judge you, right? And you will feel the full weight and fury of his wrath. That is part of the bad news. But the bad news gets worse because guess what? You're helpless. You can't fix it. You can't do anything about it. You can't, you know, you you can't feed enough homeless people, right? You can't send enough aid to other countries. You can't rescue enough kittens out of trees, you know. You can't have enough stray animals in your backyard, right? Right? You can't fix it on your own. You can't make yourself right before God. There's nothing you can do to earn your way back into God's favor. So you are a broken, wretched, helpless sinner. But... The really good news is, is that God loved you and decided to have grace on you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect, sinless life and die on the cross as a substitution for you. He died for your sins. He died so that you could go free. And three days later, he was physically resurrected back to life. That's what we're celebrating next week. That's what Easter is all about. And when he rose again, he proved two things. He proved, number one, that he is what he, what he claimed to be, God in the flesh. And he can do what he promised to do, which was to save you from your sins. right? And all you have to do is to repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe in, put your trust in, put your hope in Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that in, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and the good news is that once you have done that, once you believe the gospel, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to make take up residence inside of you and live inside of you Right? And it begins to change you from the inside out. And so immediately you are granted into the presence of God and you're granted eternal life because it can, if it can be taken from you, it's not eternal. right? You have eternal life, which means when this life is over, you will immediately be spared the wrath of God to come and you will spend eternity in a life-giving presence of God with all of those in Christ who went before you. And not only that... In this life, you get to inherit the promises like, I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. All right? or, or, or the things that God said like, all things, all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And if you're ready to take that step today and repent and believe, then uh, then after the service, come up here and see me. Uh, I'd be happy to walk you through how, how to do that. Um, so that's the good news now for those of you who already believe all right now that you kind of like we did a little history lesson again this is kind of an unusual sunday right but um next week's easter right and then following that is our is is our church-wide campaign i really would ask three things of you number one invite somebody to church for easter just invite them here all right Get them here so they can hear. Next week is going to be more of a normal kind of message. We're going to talk heavily about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to read the Easter story. We're going to talk about what it means. And we're going to give people an opportunity to believe. Right. So number one, invite somebody to church. Number two, get into a small group. Bible study. Sign up at the back. Put your name down. I mean, even if you're not even sure, just put your name, phone number, and what dates you're available down. I'll call you this week, and we'll get you set up. Okay? Um, and then number three, grab some of those invitations in the back and take them with you and pass them out to your neighborhood and invite everyone to join us, um, for the I love my church campaign. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace and your, and your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, for the word. We thank you for this faithfulness of the people who had ran this church before that they start, they came in this community. They started this church. They invested money. They built a building, Lord. Out here in the middle of nowhere, Lord, and and, and here the, and here we are, seventy-eight years later as we continue to, to renovate and, and, and bring new life into these old buildings, as we see new families come to faith in you, and as we see lives get better, we've seen marriages get healed because of your, of your work, Lord, that you're doing here. We've seen, we've seen relationships with children get better. We've seen addictions be smashed. We've seen people's lives change wholesale because of the work that you're doing here. And, Father, we just, we just want to be here willing vessels to, to participate in that. And so, Father, just help us, Lord. Uh, to be mindful of of the direction that you want us to go. Help us to not jump your timing. And, And Lord, more importantly, raise up in this place a people who love you and are so passionate for your name and who are just so deeply connected to you that they just can't but help to go proclaim Jesus, Jesus, Jesus out on the street. That they'd be willing to share with every person in this community. That we would be willing to call them all in. Father, that we would reach the addicted. We would reach the afflicted. We'd reach the broken Lord. That we would see lives made whole because of your gracious goodness and that you would do that through your people here give us a passion for your name give us a passion for your word father and i pray that all that you said that we that we do we, we'd be glorified and father we would lift up the food uh, uh, at the fellowship hall lord that you would bless it lord and that you would give us a wonderful time kind of fellowship lord we laugh and smile and love each other and grow deeply more connected love you and praise you in Christ's name you Amen. Thank Thank you for listening you've been listening to the teaching ministry of pastor sherman burkhead check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of jesus christ with our community and with the world